The following is brought to you by the generous support of Clio. Welcome back, listeners. We now continue with part three of Brian's story. In our last episode, Brian lost his attorney, ran out of resources, and had to weather the dark days of incarceration. For his own safety on the inside, he kept the nature of his wrongful conviction a secret from other inmates. When Brian finally got out, he tried many times to put his life back together, but because he was a registered sex offender, his options were extremely limited. That was until someone from his past popped up again in his life, and you'll never guess who it is. And that's where we pick things up in this episode. I'm Michael Samanchik, and you're listening to the California Innocence Project podcast, here on Legal Talk Network. Spent most of my life in prison Chasing a dream called justice Chasing a dream, chasing a dream Won't somebody please hear my plea Won't somebody please set me free Yeah, so I was doing the normal searching for a job online, you know, all those different job sites, sending my resume all over the city. And I, uh, like everybody, you know, I'm bored. I jump on social media. And at the time, you know, it was Twitter and it was Facebook and uh, what's it called? MySpace was on the way out the door. It was on. Mm -hmm. It was it was gone. Like It was like, this is this is this is it. Final nail. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, let me check Facebook. I got on Facebook and I had a friend request. And I click on the box, and the box came down, and it's the girl who had wrongfully accused me, who made up the lies, who sent me to prison. She sent me a friend request trying to be friends on Facebook. Can you believe that? In all my years of working in this area of law, I've never heard of something like this. After lying and sending Brian to prison for five plus years, after ruining his football career and giving him five years of probation, she was the reason Brian had to register as a sex offender. And now she wants to be friends with him on Facebook? I simply don't have the words. And uh, I freaked out. I freaked out first because I was like... (laughs) Who the fuck made this fake account and would follow me and play this sick fucking game with me? Like, who would do that? Who would make this fake ass account and play me like that? So I don't accept the request. I send a message. I just want to see what the response is going to be. I said, why would you friend request me? That was it. And the response was back in a few minutes. It said, I was hoping we could let bygones be bygones. I'm paraphrasing, but that was an exact phrase. I was hoping we can let bygones be bygones. I was immature back in the day, but I'm very mature now. It'd be good to see you. So I'm now I'm still freaking out. I'm like, there's no, there's no way that this really is this person. Like this is some sick joke or some setup, but there's no way. So my next one was like, Call me. Call me. Mm-hmm. So I put my number in the phone. I put my number in the message box. And within a few minutes, my phone rang. And I don't know if I said hello or just sat there, but 
I'm on the phone, I'm like, you know, prison ears are on. I'm listening to the background. I'm listening to what's going on. I'm trying to hear what I can hear and really hear the voice and shit like that. And it's her. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm over here doing some hair right now or some shit like that. And we're just rambling, talking about like, you know, it's been a while. I haven't seen you. I was looking at your pictures on Instagram and you look good. You've grown up. And did you get a chance to look at my pictures? What you, How you think I look? Like literally flirting with me on the phone right away. I'm just like, I don't have no words. I'm just kind of just like, I didn't mind Sam's kind of just silence. And she's like, well, anyways, you know, I thought I'd just hit you up to see, you know, what you were up to. You know, it'd be good to see you, you know, if you want to hang out sometime. And I was like, how could you think that I would want to do that? You know, I said, I was like, how, why would you think that? Like, why would you think I want to hang out with you? I was like, uh, you know, I went through this. I've been doing this. And she's like, well, you know, we don't have to be on the phone. You know, I was just reaching out. Blah, 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 blah. And I had to like backtrack, like, hold on, hold on, because, you know, something, you could do something don't with this. Don't blow this. I had to backtrack because I was going to go off. I had to backtrack. Okay, 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 hold on. I was like, well, you know, let me think about it, man. Like, let's, let, let me think about us, you know, catching up because it's, it's just, it's pretty heavy. I'll get back to you. And we get off the phone and she just starts blowing my shit up, texting me for like the next week, every moment of the day. What's up? How about today? How about in about an hour from now? How about I meet you? I catch the train. I can meet you over here. Where you want to meet? Anywhere. We can meet in a neutral zone. Halfway. Like, terrorizing me. So now I'm thinking, she's trying to set me up. You know, her family's got mm -hmm. these gang ties, the whole thing. Maybe she's trying to get me to show up somewhere and they, you know, they shoot me up. I don't know. Try to do something to me. Sure. So I'm dodging. I'm just like, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. And then one day... She texts and said, well, maybe I'll change my mind about talking to you and helping you out with your situation. You know, part of that phone call, I was like, you know, maybe we could talk if you're down to help me get my life back. I said some shit like that. And she was like, yeah, well, let's, let's see. So then she used it against me. Like, well, maybe I won't help you after all or something like that. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, I got to move on this now. So I mm -hmm. reached out to my homeboy who whose dad had literally just became a private investigator, like within weeks or whatever months and i said uh this is what's going on bro like you know i don't know what to do i'm i'm at a limit of time right now because you know she's thinking about disappearing should i talk to your dad about this and he was like yeah call my dad he could he could get you somebody he probably find you somebody to work with you know the right people to help you deal with this so i called his dad trying to find an investigator to help but his dad was like, oh, I got this. I could do this. Like, let's do this. So I said, cool. Thank you so much. He didn't ask for no money, whatever. He was like, let's just do this. So I said, cool, let's go. So I go to his, I, I text her. All right, cool. We can meet, you know, if you want to meet me, you can come meet me at my, my job during my lunch break is what I told her. And we could talk during my lunch break. And what we did was we set up to meet at the private investigation firm of his office he had a part private investigation firm slash real estate or something like that i don't know he was into a bunch of things but he said have her come to my office and we you know we could record everything there whatever she says i'm like all right cool so i was like come to my you know my job during my lunch break if you want to talk she's like yeah i'll be there i'll come no problem i'll be there and sure enough she showed up 
Ah, oh, man. And um, that was crazy, bro, seeing her like face to face, being back in the same room with her. I can't even imagine. The movie didn't even. <laughs> <laughs> movie didn't get that part right. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> movie didn't get that part right at all, bro. I, mm-hmm. That was that was a crazy feeling. You know, it was mixed up with all the shit that I had been through, mixed with how bad this could be if somebody, the wrong people found out that I was meeting with her, I can go back to jail. It was a violation of my parole to be in touch or in contact with her at any form, in any way, I can go back to jail. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot, you know? And um, she came in, I walked her into the office and we sat down and we start chit-chatting, like I'm trying to small talk, just trying to ease it out. And she's flirting. Hey, you looking good. Nah, what do you think of me? How you think I look? And I'm just trying to breeze over everything. And we talked and uh, I asked her, would she come back and speak to somebody that could help lead us in the right direction as to getting my case back in court? And she said, um, you know, I'm down to help you, but I don't want to talk to lawyers. I don't want to talk to police. I don't want to talk to nobody in the courts. So I'm like, fuck, I'm like, uh, all right, will you talk to, how about this? Let's talk to this private investigator that I know. And, you know, he can give us neutral advice, you know, both sides. And she's like, all right, I'll do that. And she came back the next day, following day, came back to the office. And, you know, first time he was watching the recording from another room. This time he played it off like he just arrived to the office as an investigator, came into the office, sat down and we all started talking. And she just starts admitting shit, bro. She just starts just being real. Like, no, he didn't really rape me. If he did, I wouldn't even be in this office right now. We were just young and dumb and having fun. Gosh. I didn't even use the word rape. Somebody else used the term and then I just ran with it. You know, I don't mind helping you out. But I got a lot of money from the lawsuit from this shit. And I don't want to have to give that back. That's my only concern. So I'm sitting there after nine years of experiencing the worst day of your life every single day for nine years. And I'm I'm back in front of this person who's laughing this shit off. Who has received over a million dollars in a lawsuit who went on and enjoyed that money. Anyways. We got everything on tape, everything that second, first and second day, we got it all on tape and it's just her being fucking candid, being open about what really went down. So I remember, oh man, when she left, man, I just, I was, I I didn't, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't go crazy. I was like stuck. Like I was just kind of like. Like everybody was going crazy around me. Like the investigator, he was screaming. He had tears in his eyes. His wife was there. She's crying tears. And I'm just like sitting there just like, like, fuck, like what? what got, I got it. Like, I yeah. got it. I got it on. I, like, not only did she say it, but I got that shit on tape. <laughs> the investigator was so happy and excited that we had it on tape. He runs back into his office with the thumb drive that had recorded everything and pl- 
plugged it into his computer so he could load everything up. And while he's loading, he's talking to me and he's excited. He yanks out the device. And then he's like, oh, let me make sure. Let me make sure that everything actually saved or whatever. He plugged the device back in. Everything was fucking gone. (laughs) Gone, bro. There was nothing on the hard drive. The thumb drive was completely empty. And he's he unplugged it, plugged it back in, unplugged it, plugged it back in, restart, do this, do this, do this, do this, gone, gone. And he just hung his head down and was like, just start tearing up like he knew he just destroyed it. Yeah. Now I'm back on. the. I'm like, OK, here we go. Now what? You know, and I'm mm-hmm. freaking out. I'm flipping out. You know, we rush off to this recovery uh, store or like. Like a hard hard drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah the brick and mortar. You store your drives, right. recover your stuff. Yeah. So we waiting hours, waiting. <laughs> and he recovered about 65% of the footage. So the first, I want to say maybe 70%. The first 30%, which is like, I would say half of the first day that she came was gone. Man. But that second half was there. And the next day where she admitted everything was still there. The footage sounded like shit (laughs) buzzing, but we got it. Yeah. So that's when it began where I was like, I got a lawyer up and I literally jumped online. I started emailing every top 100 lawyer online (laughs) that I could find. I'm emailing civil attorneys. I'm emailing everybody, people turning me down left and right. They don't really want to understand the situation. And through all of those people I was reaching out to, I was looking at the top 100 lawyers and his name popped up, Justin Brooks. And and they said, okay, who is this? I'm researching him. He's a California Innocence Project. I'm like, well, shit, I reached out to them before some years ago and they told me no twice twice and they couldn't help me i was like this is definitely something that you know they probably could help me with so i was like let me reach out one more time and i reached out to you guys and i remember speaking to the amazing kim she was was she like the program manager yeah she answered the phone i'm speaking to her (laughs) ma'am (laughs) would you please i'm talking to her i'm like i'm putting that voice on hello Mm -hmm. good ma'am i'm in dire need please will you just listen you know and she was kind enough to say all right you know so i told her like i got this video i got this video i got this video she's like are you sure you got that video i'm like i got this video she's like all right let me get these lawyers to come meet you and i was like but i can't leave la county because i'm on parole and you know california innocence project is at cal western school of law san diego Mm-hmm. so I'm like fuck sacrifice time I'm like I'm about to just borrow my girl's car I'm going for it I'm driving out there we met halfway in like Laguna not even Laguna somewhere San Juan Capistrano who knows somewhere halfway between Dago and Long Beach and we met at a grocery store we sat in front of this grocery store on some tables and I pull out the golden laptop with the thumb drive and I'm like, I, you know, this is prize. Like I'm protecting this with all my life. I'm pulling this shit out like it's, you know, dirty money or something. I'm like, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 
here it is. Look at the, I'm like, look at this. So I pop it open I'm, and it's like, you know, the sun is beaming on the computer. So it's like, they're looking, it's buzzy. They trying to listen, but they hear it and they see it. And by the time I press stop on that tape, they both just sat back like, and looked at each other like, what the fuck? <laughs> like I saw it in their eyes. Yeah. They looked at each other like, what? And then Alyssa, you know, she just was like, okay, uh, can we get a copy of this? And I was like, yeah, I made a copy. Here you go. And she's like, okay, uh, we're going to get to looking into this and, um, you know, we'll get with you soon. And I remember to this day, I asked her, does this mean I don't have to look for a lawyer anymore? And she said, that's right. You don't have to look for a lawyer anymore. was like okay thank you right i poke her face i was like thank you i got inside that car bro i damn near broke the roof off the car punching <laughs> the top I'm, oh my god i'm punching the cylinder roof i'm screaming car shaking i'm in like this tiny ass honda i'm rocking this thing just in just pure joy and excitement there was somebody in the car next to me i didn't know until the end of me screaming and going crazy she's looking at me her eyes all lit i'm like i'm, so, I'm like i'm sorry I'm, I'm just happy like i'm crying tears running down my eyes dude like fine i got the california innocence project took my case like bro you have no idea what that feeling is like and i think many other exonerees will attest to the same that when you get the news that an organization like the California Innocence Project is taking on your case. You know what I mean? So I was just in so much excitement and hype about that. I went home and just shared the news with my mom and she immediately was scared, scared, scared out of her mind. She didn't know I had met with the girl. She didn't know the girl contacted me. She didn't know I had the video. She didn't know none of this shit. She was mad. She was scared. This is going to put you back in jail. As soon as they find out you came in contact with her. I don't like this. This ain't good. I don't care what she said, Brian. You playing with fire. And I was like, Mom, I guess I'm about to jump in this fire then. Because this is the only way out is to go through the fucking fire. You know? So I just told her, like, I got this. Got trust in me. Like, this is everything. I got to do this. There's nothing more important than this, you know? She's like, okay, do what you got to do. It would take some time, but eventually we would get Brian exonerated so he could clear his name. And as it turned out, having that clear name actually kept Brian from going back to prison on a different charge. Unfortunately, he had failed to deregister as a sex offender when he moved from his girlfriend's place in Burbank to Long Beach. And just to be clear, he was registered in both areas, Burbank and Long Beach. And also important, he was going back between Burbank and Long Beach to visit his girlfriend, so he was spending significant time in both locations. He was not failing to provide notice. If anything, he provided extra notice by being registered in two locations as compared to one. But strict compliance with the law at that time required offenders to deregister from areas when they moved away. Failure to do that could result in a parole violation and send him back to prison on new charges. Unfortunately, Someone wanted to make an example out of Brian. Here's how all of that got started. Failure to deregister, man. So long story short, after this girl had come forward, we had her on tape confessing that she lied about this whole thing. 
after you guys started fighting my case. And here we are just months away from my exoneration, literally months away. We're that close. Like we got all the evidence we need. I'm at my girlfriend's. This is a different girlfriend now. She and I, I was living with her for a bit. We were having financial problems because I was broke. So I decided to no longer be a burden. I moved out. And the investigator who had the recording of the girl coming forward offered me a room at his house. So I stayed there at his house for a few months. But during that time, I would still go and visit my girlfriend at the time. So the problem was, was when I was initially living with her in Burbank, I was registered as a sex offender in Burbank. There's a law, I guess, or a rule in your parole that I didn't know at the time that if you move to a new city, not only do you have to register in that new city, but you have Which to you deregister. Oh, yeah, I did. I registered mm-hmm. and I did everything that I was supposed to do. I went to the new city. I got a, I, I asked about it before I went and got requests for it. Then I did, made the request. Then I went through the parole system. Then I got approved and they told me everything was OK. My parole officer told me I was OK. Everybody cleared it. They cleared it. So not only are you supposed to register in a new city, but you're supposed to deregister from the old city. That part I did not do. I did not go to Burbank police office and say, hey, I'm leaving to go to another city. Can you take me off your registration list? So I'm over registered, which you would think is a good thing. We got tabs. We know, you know, this guy is out here in Burbank a lot. We know he's in Long Beach. So one day I get a knock on the door at my girlfriend's house and it's detectives, police. And they say, do you live here? I said, not anymore. I used to. They said, well, you're registered here. I said, well, I'm registered in Long Beach now. Well, it still has you here. I'm like, All right, I'll go into the office and deregister. He said, okay, let's do that. But before that, we're going to search the house. Mate, ransack the house. Ransack my ex-girl's house. I said, okay, now we're done. You come on over here and uh, let's go deregister. So I go to the, I follow the police to the police station, walk into his office and fill out the deregistration paperwork. The man looks at me and says, all right, you're good. Thank you so much. Two weeks later, about a week later, or however long it was, this is New Year's Eve. Remember, New Year's Eve. I'm at my ex's house and uh, knock on the door. It's nighttime. Open the door. Two police officers at the door. Hey, uh, Detective, what's the name? Wants to see you. It's like eight, nine o'clock. What are you talking about? For what? I already deregistered. I did everything. Oh, he just wants to have a word with you real quick. I poke my head out the door. It's cops surrounding the entire building. They're in the alley. They're in the front. It's cars everywhere. I guess they knew it was the big, it's a big, it's a big dude. So if you're going to get them, I guess. Yeah, like 15 cars outside. I don't know why. Like, keep treating me like some supreme terrorist or some shit like that. But so they're like, we just want to talk to you real quick. Like, Come on outside, put some clothes on. I'm like, so I'm like, let me get some clothes. I close the door. My, my ex, she starts crying. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I think they're taking me. I put my clothes on, go outside, push me up against the wall, handcuff me, put me in the car and take me to Burbank County Jail. Not to this guy's office. It took me to jail. I'm in jail for four days in solitary confinement. And they tell me I didn't deregister. So it's a new charge, which is a felony offense, which has a max term of three years. But since this will be your second offense, it would be your second strike. And because it's your second strike, we double your time to six six years. years, six more years. So I was now back in court fighting another charge. 
that had a six year frame on it for failure to deregister. And so when I was exonerated and got my life back, I had to go to court the following day in Burbank and stand in front of a judge who the judge was cool. I had to give him some love. When I first went to court that first day for the arraignment, he was like, why is this guy in here? And the DA was like, he didn't deregister. Yada, yada. And the judge was like, this is what he in here for. <laughs> this is what we wasting our time <laughs> on. And he didn't deregister. Like, this is what this is yeah. about. He was like, I can't throw it out because it's out of my hands. But this is this is ridiculous. And he just like, you know, see you on this yeah. court day. Oh, yeah. He said, Mr. Banks, if I let you, he let me, you know, he post bond the whole night. He's like, if I let you go, are you going to show up to court, Mr. Banks? I was like, sir, yes. He was like, are you? Sure? Like, it was like almost like mocking the DA a little bit. Are you going to show up for this court date, Mr. Banks, if we let you go? So they let me go from the courthouse. And then so that the next day I show up after it being exonerated, I'm in the courtroom and the DA walks in. He's like, Judge, we're ready to go full speed on this. We're going to take this, you know, like we're, we're moving forward on this case, yada, yada. The judge is like, are you fucking crazy? Do you know who this guy is? He's been all over the news like the last 24 hours. He's the talk of the town right now. Go look him up real quick. The DA is like, uh, okay, give me one second. And he goes out into the hallway. He comes back in about five minutes later and he walks up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. We're going to make this right right now. We're going to take care of this. And he walks back out. He's like, yeah, oh, Judge, we're, we're going to throw this out. We didn't know that he had been exonerated yesterday. <laughs> so then it was finally officially over. You know, I was finally free. As you just heard, Brian's exoneration came just in time to save him from another drawn-out prison sentence. It highlights the importance of never giving up on your innocence. But for his determination to clear his name, Brian would have been swept back into the criminal justice system for failure to deregister. Failing to deregister for a crime he never committed in the first place. As incredible as it sounds, Brian would eventually make it to the NFL. He would make the cut even though he never played for a Division I college team. He would enter the league as one of the oldest rookies in history. Despite the long, winding path there, his professional career was very short. Father time and years away from the game had taken a toll. And although it may not have been the football career Brian dreamed of, he did answer the question that athletes in every sport ask themselves. Can I play this game at the highest level? And that answer was an emphatic yes. Brian's determination and uncompromising spirit would be seen on the national stage. As you'll hear... He certainly longs for more, but what an amazing way to end your playing days. Man, you know, I've had some really good days and I've had some great days. The Falcon days were some great days. What can I say? There's so much to say about that experience from even before getting to the Falcons, just the people who did believe in the possibility that took me on, like Jay Glazer and... Marcus Hobbs and all the different trainers that took me on to bringing me in to working out with, you know, top NFL players at the time, T.O. And the list goes on. I I was training with the best of the best in the NFL before even making it to the NFL at these different facilities with these different trainers at different points in time. And Jay Glazer was somebody who really played a huge role in getting me signed to the Falcons. When I was training with him, 
you know, he has a lot of respect and great relationships with teams where he has the ability to talk with GMs and of that nature. And he really went to bat for me with a lot of teams and getting me tryouts, helping me out with a few tryouts. And he got me a tryout with the Falcons. The GM at the time was Thomas Dimitrov. Good guy, too. Great guy, man. Treated me with a lot of love. The two of them together said, I guess, you know, over dinner, over drinks, you know, whatever. Let's do this. Let's, let's run it. Let's see what he can do. And so uh, I tried out with the Falcons and they didn't pick me up that season that I tried out. They said the time that I had tried out was so close to the season starting that they didn't want to deal with the, the news, the media and all the stuff that was going to come with that. They wanted to focus on the season. So they said, we ain't going to sign you now, but we're going to bring you in next season. And I remember when they first said that to me, I was just like, but yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way of letting me down. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's not going to happen. So after six tryouts with six different NFL teams, I went to the UFL in Vegas, the United Football League, which is a, like a D2 professional football team, our league, which went defunct after four games into the season. They filed for bankruptcy. So I did the UFL, and after the UFL folded, I was, you know, I found myself in San Diego, staying with Justin and his wife, Heidi, and his two sons in San Diego, and training there with trainers, trying to figure out the next move. And sure enough, man, I ended up getting an apartment of my own in L.A., moving to L.A., training with all of these guys, kept working with Jake Glazer. And next thing you know, I'm in New York one day, taping an episode of The View. I was on with Gail King. And during that visit, I got a call from Jay Glazer saying, you remember that time I told you I was going to help you get your life back and get you into the NFL? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, congratulations, buddy. The Atlanta Falcons is going to sign you. And I, man, bro, man, I must have jumped in the air about 50 feet right in, right in front of, I was in, we was in Times Square. And I just jumped in the air and screamed. My mom was like, my mom was with me. Justin was with me. And I want to say we had some cameras filming this. I hope so. But I just screamed. I was so happy. And uh, sure enough, as soon as he hung up, the phone rang again. It was the Falcons. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) I swear to God. Hey, how you doing? This is uh, some young lady that does the flights and shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here to book your flight for tryouts. I was like, oh, my God, let's do it. So it was like. It was like not a tryout, but it was like a physical tryout. So what the NFL does is you do a tryout. And then after the trial, you do a physical. If you pass the physical, then they keep you. So we want to fly you out. We want to take you through the physical. And the physical is not just a checkup by the doctor, but it's also field work as well. Like they want you to do certain stretches. They want you to lift certain weights. They want you to move certain directions with your knees. They want to check everything to make sure that, you know, you're not you don't have any injuries they don't know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pass that, you're good. So sure enough, bro, I went, I was supposed to go from New York back home. They brought me from New York, put me in first class, took me out to Atlanta. My mom ended up flying home, you know, put me in a hotel up in Flowery Branch, Georgia, over at Lake Lanier. And uh, woke up that early morning, did my physical, passed it. And then they put me in a, it's kind of like a team room where it's like TVs, video games, snacks. I'm sitting in there and I'm watching ESPN and I'm just like on my phone texting. And next thing I know, bro, breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) 
Shit was all over the news, bro. The Atlanta Falcons have signed Brian Banks. And that was on every channel. My phone started getting hot. It was so much shit. My phone started burning up. I turned the phone off. Everybody's going crazy, hitting me up. News is everywhere. They take me out of that room, take me upstairs to the main room where they have you sign. That's the big table. Gave me the pen. I signed. This dude was like, B, what's your Instagram handle? I'll turn my handle. He's like, all right, cool. Like five minutes later, my shit was certified. I had a blue check by it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn. It was like, it just rolled out the red carpet. You know what I mean? Like, it was wow. amazing. I'm doing interview after interview. I'm talking with the head coach, Coach Mike Smith, Thomas Dimitrov, the GM, and just giving me a lot of love, a lot of support, a lot of encouragement. But yeah, it was just a very amazing experience, that first part. And then the work began, you know, like hitting the field, running around with these guys, learning the playbook, which was tough for me. The playbook was tough because I had missed a whole four years of college growth in sports to learn, you know, the full extent of cover three, cover two and, and cover one and basic setup and and where you should position yourself in drop zones and cover zones and things like that. You know, like I knew the the basics, but when you start getting into the detail, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the real shit, then it was like, damn, like, you know, you could see that I was struggling in those moments. But yeah, all in all, man, was it was crazy, bro. It was just an amazing experience. I turned 28 years old as a rookie. I think I, I, I want to say I may be the oldest NFL rookie. But yeah, man, 28-year-old rookie with turf toe immediately when I got out there. <laughs> turf toe on both feet right away. My big toes, they were fucked. They felt like they were fractured getting out to bed every morning. I couldn't Ugh. even walk. And uh, that slowed me down. Yeah, man, I just, you know, then these younger guys, man, these 22, 23-year-old dudes is out there flying, mm-hmm. you know, not getting tired, no turf toe. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I That's you crazy. know, you could tell that I was in shape. I, I could keep up, I could hit, I could jam, I could drop mm-hmm. in coverage, I could do it all. My speed was good, everything, but my body wasn't used to that wear and tear. Football is mm-hmm. one of those sports where you can't take too much time off. You know, your ankles stop learning how to bend to that mm-hmm. degree when you change in lanes and directions, you know, your back pedal and you know, it's like all of the foot your feet are so important. Sure. Uh, and if you haven't been doing that, it's like ballet. Go ahead and get on that big toe and, and try yeah, that shit if you want to. If you ain't did it in 10 years, <laughs> you're going to probably break a toe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you haven't yeah. been strengthening your your stuff like that, you know? So I could definitely feel it. You know, I, I felt strong, but then I also felt like I've been out the game for a minute. But the time that I was there, the four games that I played, running out there onto the field, crowd cheering, flames going up, smoke, you know, my mom in the audience, she showed up to the game, first game, Arthur Blank, you know, owner of the Falcons, heard that my mom was going to be at the game, told them, put her in the owner's box, owner's suite. They put her in the owner's suite. She was eating shrimps and lobsters or whatever they had up there <laughs> drinking wine you know up there with the who's who's you know giving her the full red carpet you know when the game was when they were about to bring us out though to come out of the tunnel she came all the way down to the tunnel she had a pass she can go anywhere she came all the way down to row one 
and came to the very corner, right where the corner of the, I got a video of the corner of where we come running out at a little bit close to the goalpost. And there she was filming. She was right there as we were coming out. Wow. Yeah. Just that's cool. It's crazy, man. Such a crazy experience, man. Such a fast paced game. It was great to relive it, to be back out there with the guys again, to have somewhat, somewhat, not the best, not the one that I hoped for, but somewhat of a closing to my football career. You know, I still think about it. Like all athletes who came before him, Brian would find his life after the game. He became a father to a son who he is very proud of. He travels the country supporting the work done by Innocence Projects like ours. A movie about his life debuted at the LA Film Festival in 2018 and was later released to theaters in 2019. Today, he shares wisdom and life lessons as an author, producer, life coach, and public speaker. He has a book and podcast out. For more information about him, you can visit brianbanksfree.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Brian's story. Produced and written by Lawrence Coletti. Audio engineering by Adam Lockwood. Thank you to Clio for their support of the California Innocence Project and the CIP podcast. Special contribution of music and sound elements by real-life exoneree William Michael Dillon. You can find his catalog of work at frameddillon.com. That's framed, D-I-L-L-O-N.com. We'll see you next time. Until then... I'm your host, Michael Samanchik, and you've been listening to the California Innocence Project podcast here on Legal Talk Network. I appreciate you guys letting me be on this, man. This has been great. It really has to, you know, relive some of this stuff, talk about some of this stuff, because I haven't talked about it in a long time. Every month, the California Innocence Project receives thousands of handwritten letters from those seeking justice for wrongful convictions. The impact of these injustices can be life-altering, and without the right technology in place, CIP cannot help all those in need. That's why the team relies on Clio's case management software, By logging these letters into Clio, the CIP team can work on hundreds of matters at any given time and investigate these cases all the way through to exoneration. Clio works tirelessly with organizations like CIP to transform the legal experience for all. Visit Clio.com to learn how they support law firms big and small in creating equitable and just outcomes. That's C-L-I-O.com.